All righty. Welcome back to our latest edition of the Coach's Corner podcast, which is part of the In the Flat family of podcasts. I'm your host, Jeff Saban, joined as always by Jeff Komarmi here. Hey, Jeff, it's been a little while. We haven't really had a chance to sit down since uh, Texas, Alabama. So it's good <laughs> to see you. You too as well. All right. This week, our matchup is going to be a top 25 battle between number 17 TCU and number 19 Kansas. TCU has dominated this series historically. Uh, they're 25-9-4 all-time over Kansas. And then since joining the Big 12 in 2012, TCU is 9-1 against Kansas with their sole loss coming in 2018. So Kansas this year is 5-0 for the first time since 2009. And a lot of that can be attributed to their newer head coach, Lance Leopold. What has he done to change things for the Jayhawks? You know, how can they avoid a repeat of 2009? Yeah, you look at Lance Leopold, I mean, how he's changes things for Kansas. A lot of people are like, who is this guy? How is Kansas 5-0? What's going on here? This guy was the head coach at Wisconsin Whitewater, Division Three. okay? Then he moved on to the head coach at University of Buffalo, and then he now is the head coach at Kansas, okay? Now, his record, okay, astonishing. He's 153 and 49 overall, okay? So he's over 100 games over 500 in his career. Then at the Division Three level at Wisconsin-Whitewater, he won six, six Division Three national championships, okay? So what he does is when he left Wisconsin-Whitewater, he was 109 and six, powerhouse okay so he's a proven winner at multiple levels okay and then in college football and that's really easy just for the staff and the players to buy in at these new stops okay when you do something like that and then you go to buffalo and then you win like 10 games at the university of buffalo and then you're at kansas and you're at five and oh he's a program builder okay he's not just an offensive guy who ran into a team who had a bunch of talent he builds programs okay and if you look at his coaches, both his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, they followed him at all of these stops. So that's a huge deal that we're going to get into today of why he's seen success and he's able to turn around these programs because all of these coaches are preaching the same message he has and it's the same mindset. Um, and then you look at 2009, okay, when Kansas is 5-0, and you mentioned, and then they lost out. That was 13 years ago. So there's new players, there's new coaches, you know, they don't have the fear of like, is this going to happen again? It's been so long. I mean, those guys were in probably elementary school, right? So, you know, it's the mentality, you know, coaching is you got to win one day at a time. So win the day. That's the mentality. And that's in the classroom. You know, Jess, that's the weight room. That's the video room. That's off the field is winning that one day at a time. And then the head coach having a long-term vision, okay? So when you say long-term vision, it's, you know, one good or bad five-game stretch like we talked about in 2009. Like, that doesn't define you or your program, okay? It might define that season of what happened. But you look at the end of the day, where did his program end, end up? Six-time national champions, 10-win season at Buffalo, okay? So trust the process is the mentality with Lance Leopold, and uh, they, he's, he's certainly building that program. Yeah, well, speaking of, you know, we got off to a hot start, winning one day at a time here. Sony Dykes and that TCU team, they are on fire offensively. What has, what has changed with TCU? I mean, this is their best start since 2017 too. You know, like both teams, hot starts. Sonny Dykes, yeah. I mean, it's her best start, like you said, since 2017. So Sonny Dykes is an air raid background, okay? So he goes all the way back to when he was a graduate assistant at Kentucky with Hal Mummy, okay? 
when Hal Mummy was there with Tim Couch, and that was like 1998, where Tim Couch was the first round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns, and they were lighting up the college football and this spread offense. He was a GA there, so that's how he learned. You know, his next stop, he goes to Texas Tech with Mike Leach when they're spread and slinging it. So that's his background. That's what he's learned. And that's what he's bringing to his head coaching stops. He just kind of has his own little wrinkle on it. You know, the difference between them and TCU five years ago is it's the complete opposite of Gary Patterson, the head coach there. OK, you know, when when Gary Patterson was there, they were a four two five defense and more of a ball controlled offense. Now they're a three three five defense and they're spread in tempo on offense. So it's a, it's a drastic changes on both sides of the ball. You know, Sonny Dykes has had head coaching experience too. He's been the head coach at Louisiana Tech, Cal, SMU, and now recently TCU. So he's 75 and 63, but you know, he's not known as certainly a, a, a true program builder. He's more of an offensive specialist, okay, where he knows and he recruits the right personnel to fit his system. He knows exactly what he wants, uh, and it's an easy transition. They're in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, he was in he was in Dallas, Texas at SMU before that, so he's got plenty of players around there. And he's brought this spread tempo offensive coaches with him to help implement this from SMU to TCU. So I think, like we talked about with Lance Leopold in Kansas, bringing these coaches with him, Sonny Dykes has done the same thing from SMU to TCU this year, and that's what you're seeing this turnaround start so fast. Yeah, no, I mean, but with every every system that, you know, offensively, particularly in a modern-day offense, you know, air raid, spread, you know, all the sort of, you know, offensive attacking strategies have evolved since even, you know, 2009, you know, when Kansas last had this great start here. So that all begins and ends with the quarterback. So Max Duggan has had a great start to the year here for, uh, for TCU. How has the scheme really played to his strengths? Yeah, so Max Duggan, he, you know, he's 6'2", six, he's six, two, 210. He's a senior. Uh, he's a dual threat, okay, and he's got playing experience. We talked about the podcast last week with the difference between, you know, you know, the quarterbacks at Florida and Tennessee and Hooker's experience. And this is what you see with Max Duggan as a senior. OK, he's able to do these things. And this system truly just unleashes him. OK, so listeners, he's his strengths are his legs with his arm strength. OK, so when we're talking about this right now. This is how you do it as a coach. And this is what we're doing to him right now. OK, because he can use his legs and he can put the ball downfield. This is what they're doing with him. The vertical passing game. OK, they're giving him those perimeter screens and then they're using double moves off of it. OK, so they're faking those now screens and those bubble screens. And that's a way to get the defense to bite and then they can push the ball downfield. And then on top of it, they can also drop back with him in their system. So you're seeing two different ways they push the ball downfield, which is why they're scoring so fast. Um, and this fits Max's arm, okay? So that's how they're putting that in to help him out, where it's not so much underneath progression-based accuracy. That's a big difference in the system. And then when you see the red zone and these tempo offenses, they slow down, okay? And the reason they slow down is because there's no more space, okay? The, the back of the end zone, ends right there, right? And that you can't go any faster. You can't push the ball down more than 20 yards. So the space is condensed for them. They've got to play tighter. They feel more pressure, okay? So what they do to kind of combat that with Sonny Dykes is they use him two ways in the run game. They use design runs with him and then read runs, okay? So for an example, like a design run, when you look at the red zone, what they'll do is they'll go to their empty formation. So that's no running backs, no tight ends. They'll have three receivers out to the left. They'll have two receivers out to the right, a true spread empty look. 
what that does is the defense has to go with you. So now what they do in the red zone is it's five offensive linemen on five defenders in the box. It might be a three down lineman and two linebackers. However you play it, they're going to play five on five in the box. And then they're just going to run the quarterback because there's no one to account for that sixth number for them. All right. So the defense is really in a bind when you give a spread look and then you truly run that quarterback. So you'll see them use that quarterback draw. Okay. And that fits Max's legs in the red zone. And the last part to combine, we talked about his arm, we talked about his legs, are those perimeter screens, okay? It's ultimately a triple option now, okay? So let's walk through zone read, okay? He's going to either hand the ball off and run it, which is the first option. Then he can pull it and run, which would be the second option. And then he has these screens on the outside to throw it to, okay, if he gets in trouble. So there's three different options. It's an, it's a modern triple option offense when you run, read, or throw. And this combines his arm talent with his legs, okay? So all of these fit both, and they look completely different to the defense. So Sonny Dykes is certainly unleashing him in this system. It's a, it's a perfect fit. Well, it certainly has been statistically. I mean, TCU has the second best scoring offense in the country, just 0.3 games, uh, 0.3 games, 0.3 points per game behind uh, Ohio State. So clearly it's been working for them. They found their groove. What are they going to have to look for on that Kansas defense? What are they going to look to attack? What are they going to try to exploit here? It's the secondary that Kansas defense, and that's what they do. Whoever they play, whatever stops Sonny Dykes is be out. Kansas just has to be the next one on the schedule, okay? So the secondary TCU can throw on Kansas when you look at the video, okay? And that's a strength of TCU. They're averaging 300 yards passing per game. Um, so they're certainly going to be able to sling it. You look at the Kansas defensive backs. Uh, one who stands out for me is Jacoby Bryant, also known as Kobe Bryant. All right, love saying that, love hearing that, in memory of the Mamba. So he's a big play corner when you look at Kobe Bryant. So he's aggressive. And what you're going to see TCU to do is they're going to combat that with double moves. So listeners, when you hear double moves on TV and, hey, you know, take this and go here, how you want to do double moves is they have to look exactly the same. So coaching wise, put their hat on trying to use these to take these deep shots. If you're running a three step slant, then you have to run a three step slant and then the go route off of it. It can't be a two step. It can't be a four step like these details matter. And it's the same thing if you run a double move with a stop route. OK, a five yard stop. It's got to be the next time it's got to be a five yard stop and then turn around and go. So you have to set these plays up and they've got to look identical. Um, and what you want to do with these double moves is how they're going to be attacking this Kansas secondary is you want to run them early in the game. OK, if you can run them multiple times early in the game. Now you have them for one when you want them later on down the line. And it's even better, Jess, if you run them out of the same formation. OK, now you're looking at the same steps, the same formation. They look identical. So look for TCU to attack these DBs. And then when they get big play cornerback Jacoby Bryant, they're going double moves up him. Yeah, well, speaking of this Kansas defense, they've been kind of up and down this year, I guess you could say. I mean, 42 to West Virginia, 30 to Houston, but then they only give up 11 to Iowa State and 10 to Tennessee Tech. So Brian Borland's come in and this, again, I'd say that pretty much every aspect of this Kansas team has been improved over the past few years here. They've gotten better. They're off to this hot start. So what are they going to have to do defensively to slow down this red hot TCU offense? 
Yeah, it'll be a challenge, but if anyone can do it, it's going to be Kansas, okay, with that staff continuity we talked about. So Brian Borland, he spent 20 years at Wisconsin Whitewater, this Division Three powerhouse. So he's he's been with Lance Leopold. He's been at Buffalo with him, okay, and now he's the D.C. at Kansas, okay? So they know exactly how they want to play football, okay? They're not experimenting with things. How you slow down TCU's offense and really just these these general like the spread tempo offenses, right? The weaknesses and how you slow them down. I mean, let's get into it. You know, the first thing you got to do is you got to win first down. Okay, if you can win first down as a defense going against this high octane offense, they can't play fast anymore. Okay, second and nine, they're not going to be playing tempo. Okay, these spread tempo offenses, they want to play fast after big plays and big positive gains. So if you can stop and win them on first down, you'll take them out of rhythm, okay? And you just don't allow them to kind of play fast. And the second part is is more of a bend but don't break mentality. Now, I hate this philosophy, hate this, right? I'd like the aggressive mindset, attack, attack, attack. But when you're facing this, coaches know, right? No matter what they preach, you want to bend but don't break, which means TCU is going to move the ball. I mean, they had over 600 yards of offense against Oklahoma in the third quarter last week, okay? So they're going to move the ball, okay? And this is where you have to adjust as a coach. You've got to pick your poison, okay? Everything slows down the red zone we talk about, all right? How it tightens up, all right, with, with the back of the end zone. So as a coach this week, if you're Kansas and you're that Jayhawk defensive staff, you're going to be analyzing every red zone formation and every play from TCU, okay? Expecting them, you're going to do your best between the 20s, but when they get down there, okay, you want to be looking for tendencies and then ways you can generate pressure because – they're out of rhythm as an offense. They cannot play fast anymore, and you have an extra numbers to do some things. So look for them to do that as a coach's mentality to slow them down. And the number one thing they've got to do in the red zone this week is defend the QB and the run game in the red zone, okay? We talked about them spreading the formations to run max. Um, defend the QB regardless if there's open formations. Don't take the bait, okay? So they're going to spend the majority of their time trying to stop them from the red zone. Remember, when you talk about bend but don't break, a field goal is a win down there, okay, for that Kansas defense. I mean, I guess they're are they gonna have to like spy uh, Dugan or anything? Like, I mean, you know, if they're following him around, I mean, this this is an offense that is averaging forty eight point five points per game. I mean, that is ridiculous. I mean, even you know, it, it's like wow, <laughs> you know, they clearly things are clicking. Is there? Is there a weakness on this TCU's offense that Kansas can exploit even? Like, I mean, 48 and a half points per game. There is. And that's a great question, Jess, because when you see this to the kind of the naked eye, you're like, man, can anyone stop them? You can. Like anybody else, there's a weakness. Now, it's it's tough to do, but you can do it, okay? And what it is is when you see spread talent, pushing the pace, scoring points, quarterback play, running back, all these things, offensive line, Okay that's where you have to look at attacking. You have to find weaknesses. If you can disrupt that, you can disrupt the timing of this offense. And when I look on video at this TCU offensive line, they are sound in what they do, okay? The scheme fits their personnel, but you have to attack the protection scheme, not the players, okay, but the scheme. So listeners, we're going to talk about gaps right now, okay? So when you hear these gaps on TV, hey, he was in the A gap, or look at this, this linebacker blitz the backside B gap. It's actually quite simple, okay? So the A gap is located on either side of the center. So these gaps are the same letters on both sides, left and right of the offensive line. So on the center and the guard, and between them on both sides, those are where the A gaps are located, okay? Then you move out from the guards in between the tackles, those are where the B gaps are located. 
And then when you get to the tackles and outside of them, rather it be a tight end or just an open formation, outside the tackles is the C gap. So you start interior with the A gap, then you move to the B gap, and then you go outside to the C gap, okay? And that's important because I'm gonna talk about how we're gonna attack that protection uh, if you're Kansas's defense. So it is a slide protection, okay? So the all offensive line, they're gonna slide to the same side, okay? It's very similar to zone blocking, but they're pass blocking instead of run blocking, okay? Now the wrinkle that TCU does, which I really like, is everyone slides, but not the backside tackle, okay? the tackle on the backside is going to stay home and he's going to help because if he went with the whole protection, now you'd be putting the running back on the edge. Okay. And that'd be a liability against a defensive end or a pass rusher. So this is how TCU protects him. They take the backside tackle and what we call in coaching is a gap hinge. He's going to check inside to the B gap and then he's going to check outside to the C gap and he's going to take the nearest threat. Okay. What that does is that buys a little bit of time for the running back. Okay. So you don't really just put that running back on an Island. So when you see them pass, watch four of those guys to slide one side and then the backside tackle, how Kansas can do it is what they need to do is they need to attack this by using their T E twist. Okay. And it's gotta be the T E because when you hear the T, okay, the tackle goes first and the end comes around, okay? So when they use this, they're gonna take the tackle and they're gonna put him outside. You want that tackle to run with them and then they're gonna loop the inside defensive end into that B gap, okay? So you really wanna to, want to confuse that tackle in this protection scheme. And now that running back has to come up and protect, but keep in mind, Jess, he's five yards back in the shotgun. So by the time that defensive end loops around and comes inside this B gap in between the guard and tackle, he's in trouble right there. So if you're Kansas, you wanna do this with your front four only, and so you don't have to sacrifice anything uh, on the back end, but look for them to kind of attack this slide protection, do it on that B gap with that TE twist. I mean, you gotta take advantage of anything you can when you've got an offense, you know, as proficient as TCU's has been so far this season. But, you know, on the other side of the ball for TCU, their defense, as seems to be the norm for a lot of these like big powerhouse, big 12 teams over the last decade or so, you know, offense, fireworks, defense, they've got struggles of their own. I mean, these last two games given up a combined 58 points and an average of nearly 370 yards, not exactly the strongest performances. So what is TCU going to need to do to adjust defensively to not be giving up that kind of point, you know, yardage, all that sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the TCU defense. So it's, there's no more Gary Patterson, four, two, five. It's completely different. Now you got Joe Galepsi. He's the DC there. Okay. Uh, he was a high school coach in Texas at Stephenville high school for 20 years. So you remember Art Bryles, Chad Morris, these, these kind of names in the spread offense, they were all head coaches at this high school. Okay. In Texas. So right now they're allowing those 22 a game. What they are on defense is a 3-3-5, okay? So 3-3-5, three, three, three down linemen, three linebackers, and they're going to be stacked five yards right behind those linemen, okay? And then you're going to have five defensive backs, okay? So when you look at these six players in the box, they have to defend C-gap to C-gap. So we just went over gaps in the last segment, okay? A-gap being inside, B-gap, and then C-gap being outside the tackles. Those six players, no matter where they line up and go, have to defend C-gap to C-gap, okay? And then on the back end, they're a cover three. So they're gonna, you're going to split the fields in the third with cover three. 
Each corner is going to take a deep third and be protective of that. And then the free safety who's going to line up in the middle deep by himself, he's going to take the middle of the field and you're going to split the field in three different levels. Okay. Then the last two players in this defense are going to be your safeties. There's a strong safety and a weak safety. Okay. Now where they're located is between the cornerbacks on the outside and then these linebackers on the inside, they're going to be right in between them in this flat area. They're responsible in this cover three to play about that five to 10 yard flat area from the line of scrimmage. Okay. So the strength of this defense is this three, three stack, Jess, it can come from any direction. Okay. At any time, it's really difficult for offensive line to identify and the QB to kind of make their read, especially in the run game, um, because these guys can twist and move at any point. And then when you walk up just two of these outside linebackers, you're morphing into what is a bare front. You're becoming a five one right now. And that disrupts the run game. You can rush five on the line of scrimmage. Uh, but like anything, there's a weakness. And you need gap integrity, okay? We call it in coaching, okay? So with all the movement in the box, it draws up on the whiteboard good. You're going to hear guys at clinics talking about how great it is. But when you give players that much freedom to roam and do these things, um, if you don't have the proper discipline, you get open gaps and you're going to get gashed in the run game, okay? So that, and then when you look at being a cover three defense, you know, just how do you attack a cover three defense? Four verticals, okay? So you put four receivers deep. And when you do that, you become plus one on offense, okay? Four receivers to their three DBs. And then now you let them play the chess match of how they're going to rotate coverage and do things. So that's a little bit about the overview of this new TCU defense, just kind of strength and weakness of this 3-3-5. Has, uh, you know, defense coordinator Joe Gillespie, has he been able to make these kinds of adjustments over the course of the season? You know, if they're being exploited in the secondary or anything, how has he like adjusted, evolved so far this year? Yeah, I think the biggest he has. I mean, he's a good coach. You see what they do. They've got good schemes and, you know, they're going to put their safeties down those 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 weak and, and strong safeties against this kind of Kansas run identity. But what the thing I've seen just with this TCU, defense, it's more a point like they've been scoring so fast. And when you score fast, you don't have time of possession. Your defense is back on the field really quick. OK, so sometimes these guys are getting gassed. It's a conditioning issue. And then it's a mental issue, too. When you have a lead and you're beating Oklahoma that bad, like it's these players are college kids. They let down. All right. So it's more just hoping, harping on those things of how elite they want to be on defense. So I think they're doing a good job adjusting. It's getting these guys to play for four quarters, um, playing a faceless opponent, as we say. It doesn't matter who you're playing. OK, um, you're playing that and you're not playing the scoreboard. You're playing for the guy next to you. So it's more about that than as far as adjustments. Yeah, well, I mean. The scoreboard is definitely going to be lighting up this game. I mean, Kansas, we, you know, I was talking about, you know, 48 and a half points per game for TCU's offense. Kansas savaging 40.4 of their own. You know, they both teams explosive on offense. They're putting up these points. So, I mean, we you, you talked a bit about, you know, the air raid, the spread for TCU. What exactly has Kansas's offensive identity been so far this season? Completely different. You know, you see the shotgun and then you realize all right, they're completely different schemes. OK, but they just work. They fit their personnel and they're coached. Right. OK, so they're averaging 41 and a half a game. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki is their OC. OK, now this is that continuity on staff we talked about earlier. That's the theme with Lance Leopold. So 
Andy has been the OC and he's been with these guys since Wisconsin Whitewater. He's been with them for the Buffalo Bulls. So he's been with these teams and now at Kansas. So they understand exactly how they want to coach and what they want to do. Now on offense, they're open and closed with formation. So TCU is pretty much going to be open. Okay. You'll see open and closed tight and wide formations. But the theme when I look at Kansas offense on video is multiple in the run game. And it's really fun to watch. Okay. So they're a run first offense and they're going to use their quarterback. Okay. With quarterback reads quarterback draw. And then you'll see quite a bit of speed option with him and the running back running that option to the short side of the field. Um, and then when you look at the schemes in their run game, Jess, they're a zone and gap scheme, okay? So when you hear that, remember, listeners, zone, all offensive line is blocking an area. And when you hear gap scheme, they're blocking a man, a certain defender. So depending on what they look and how they want to act, they can do both, and they do both pretty good, okay? And then when you look at the running backs in the backfield, again, multiple. They're either offset to the quarterback and the shotgun where that running back is going to be about five yards in the backfield and he's going to be right to the left or the right of the quarterback. And then you'll see them also in that pistol. Okay. Alignment we've talked about where the quarterback's in the shotgun and then the running back is actually two yards behind him directly behind him. That's about seven yards from the line of scrimmage. So we just talked about the zone and gap scheme offset and pistol. I mean, they're very multiple in how they want to attack in the run game. And that for a defense, you have to put up these cards during the week. You have to line up to every formation and alignment. It's difficult. And then to top it off, what they do in offense is you put in their pre-snap motion and their shift. It's a lot of movement and misdirection, okay? And when you do that and the defense doesn't communicate, um, you have an advantage on offense. So the three kinds of movement you'll see when you look at video, this Kansas offense, is one is the running back where they're going to flip him to the side. So say he starts to the right of the quarterback in the shotgun. Right before the snap, they're going to quick motion him to the left side, okay? So now the defense can't key on him. And then they're also going to use the tight end. So when that tight end is off the ball, right before the snap, they're just going to quick shift him to the other side of the ball where he's going to be right outside that tackle, okay? And then the third motion is the receivers, okay? So they're going to use the receivers on that fly motion directly across the field in front of the quarterback, or they'll even use the orbit motion we talked about last week where he goes behind the quarterback. So three kinds of movement, the running back flipping sides, the tight end with a quick shift, and then these receivers with this full motion. So uh, it's very difficult. And if defense doesn't communicate quick enough, this is where they're gashing people in the run game on offense. Uh, they're like, what kind of limitations does this kind of offense bring? You know, is what exactly is going to stop them? Like, how are they going to, are they going to be able to stop themselves here? Or like, what kind of limits are there? Yeah. So when you look at, you know, to talk about strength and weaknesses with every scheme, uh, we just highlighted all of the creativity in the run game and how that fits and how difficult it is. But it's run and it's play action oriented. Now, the reason I say this is because when you're run and play action oriented, you have to run the ball effectively. OK. And you have to be in the game. It has to be a competitive game. OK. And I'll tell you why. If you can't run the ball well, OK, you can't sell your play action pass. No one's going to bite. OK. And now you become a drop back pass team, which that's not who you are. We just we just kind of covered that. OK, so you have to run the ball effectively. The second part is you have to be in the game. OK, because when teams get down with this kind of scheme, if they get down 21 to 3, 24 to 6 and it gets out of hand, they now start pressing. They get out of their run game element. They lose their play action pass. They become a drop back pass team. And now teams can team off on them. 
and it's not a strength of what Kansas will do. So, you know, the two things they're going to do is, is really they've got to stay ahead of the chains. But if they don't run the ball effectively, they're not going to use their play action. OK, and they've got to be competitive for this to happen. OK, but those are the weaknesses in this kind of scheme. You'll see with Kansas offense. Well, that's why I've been, you know, I was thinking about you know, who are exactly are going to be like the most impact X factor players in this game. And as cliche and even maybe a bit of a cop out as it sounds, I'm go- I would say it's the two quarterbacks. If TCU can utilize Max Duggan and just really push the ball down the field, you know, rack up those points, as you were just saying, that will throw Kansas out of their rhythm. And that means this is going to be a pass happy, lot of points kind of game. And one thing that Max Duggan has done extraordinarily well this year is not turn the ball over. Because a lot of the times, you know, a lot of these games, you'll see these quarterbacks, you know, put up like tons of points. I mean, back when Patrick Mahomes was playing at Texas Tech, yeah, he'd have like these 400 yard games with six touchdowns, but he'd also turn the ball over. Max Duggan hasn't done that. He has zero interceptions so far this year. He's done 11 touchdowns. And while his yardage is not truly exemplary, he's just under a thousand yards. Uh, he's completing 74 and a half percent of his passes. And that if, if they're able to do that, that means they're going to force Kansas and their quarterback, Jalen Daniels to really have to try and keep up. And as you were just saying, that is not the strength of this Kansas offense. So if that pressure is on Jalen Daniels, I mean, he has also not really turned the ball over all that much this year. 11 touchdowns, one interception. His completion percentage is a bit below uh, what Max has, and he's at 68.2. But can these quarterbacks continue to protect the ball? Can they push the ball downfield when necessary? And particularly on Kansas side, if that running game isn't there, will Jalen Daniels be able to kind of put the team on his back and take the take Kansas to a victory, you know, carry them if he has to. And I don't know if that's really something he's done so far this season, but it might be something he has to do on Saturday. That's a great point. You know, you look at that and that's exactly when I talk about this quarterback play because they're so different, but they're also asked to do so much right in their scheme. Uh, So it's going to be really neat to see on Saturday, I got how they're used and how they respond to this being a, a 17 versus 19 ranked teams in the country. Yeah. And again, a quarterback is only as good as his offensive line, which is why it's going to be really interesting to see if that Kansas defense, like you were talking about earlier, can throw TCU off their game. Kansas has forced 15 sacks so far this season. That's three per game. That's pretty good. TCU in four games has allowed just six sacks, not truly phenomenal, but not terrible either. So if they, if Kansas can win the trenches here, I can definitely see them throwing TCU off their rhythm and maybe coming out with a W here and going to 6-0. I don't know about – what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the matchup to watch. Okay, TCU's offensive line against Kansas's defensive line. But when you look at the TCU offense, okay, it starts with the splits, okay? And that starts from the receivers. It starts outside and then inside, okay? So the receiver splits, when you watch this on Saturday, listeners, okay, their outside receivers are going to line up from the numbers to the sideline, okay? It's going to be that wide. And then the inside receivers in a two-by-two formation, they're going to call what we call a split the difference. So you're going to go in between that receiver on the outside 
and the offensive tackle, okay, on your side, you're going to go right in between them. What this does is it creates space, okay? It takes outside linebackers out of the box, and now it helps the offensive line, which we're getting into right now. Wide splits, right? Look at the TCU offensive line, okay? It's that same theme. Their splits are going to be a little bit wider, okay? And when you can do that, that creates run lanes and that creates wider pass protection, okay? So you can pick up stunts and blitzes and things like that, especially against those four-man fronts, okay? Um, but the most underrated part, Jess, of this TCU offensive line that no one's going to talk about is how fast they line up. When you can line up that fast as an offensive line, that limits the defensive looks that you'll get and the communications that they can do on the defensive side. So as important as it is for the outside guys, it's just as important, if not more, for the offensive line so they can limit the looks they see. And now that once they have an idea of what they can get, they can play better, okay? And then when you flip it, okay, of how key, the Kansas defensive line, they're a four-man front, okay? And it, they're, they're more difficult to combo block when you're running a zone against this four-man front, especially if you're big in the interior, okay, with a one and a three technique. It's tough for guys to truly combo you in that zone game. But there's three ways the Kansas defensive line is going to pressure them, okay? And if you're a defensive coordinator, there's three ways, and you want to do them in order, okay, when you're in a four-man front. The first is that base front four, okay? You want to win within. If you can win with your front four without any movement, okay, no twists, no stunts, your defensive ends are rushing upfield, and then your defensive tackles are pushing the pocket inside and putting pressure on that quarterback, you're going to win because now you can mix more coverage and stuff behind it. Now, the second part is if you can't get there with that front four with no movement, go to your TE and ET twist where those tackles and ends are now looping around. So the reason I say that, Jess, is because you're still rushing four, but it's more difficult for the offensive line to pick up. Now, if you can't get there with those four and you can't get there with those twists, the third thing and final thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to bring five. OK, now, when you bring five, you sacrifice coverage and you're going to have to get there right away. But what it does is it creates a five on five, five offensive linemen against five defenders. OK, and every single offensive line has and lineman has to be perfect. If he's not, or one of them is just a half step too slow, you get beat. The quarterback's got to get the ball rid of it quickly, okay? And it takes them completely out of rhythm. So when you look at that Kansas defensive line, beat them with your front four with no movement, then go to your TE and ET twists. And then if you need to, go to your five man and you'll see a little bear from them on those third down and long. Well, this is certainly going to be a very big game for the Big 12 standings. Uh, right now, it looks like Oklahoma State is going to be the cream of the crop in this in this conference here. They're currently ranked, I believe, at number seven in the country. But the winner of this game, I mean, with how college football is these days, if you get two losses, that's more or less your season. I mean, we've seen how people have reacted to the back-to-back -back losses Oklahoma has suffered. So the winner of this game is going to really position themselves well moving forward. They're going to have the tiebreaker. And who knows, like, what kind of playoff implications this could possibly have. I mean, if one of these teams goes undefeated, you know, there's a little bit of chaos up top there. I mean, we've seen Georgia hasn't exactly looked like the absolute juggernaut we thought they were going to be coming into the year. You know, Alabama injuries to Bryce Young. Who knows? You know, I mean, obviously, Ohio State and Michigan, they're going to have to duke it out themselves. So this is going to be a re this could potentially be one of the biggest games of the season. And it, it feels like it's going to be one of the biggest games of the season so far. It does. I mean, you look at it, Jess, it's game day in Lawrence, Kansas. OK, and I think there's only seven schools 
that haven't had game day at their campus now. Okay, so that's I mean, just being in Lawrence, Kansas for for football all right, alone, it's just going to be really cool to see. It's really deep just for college kids, the atmosphere, you know, and, and that's what college sports are about. Uh, you look at the home field advantage. Okay, with Kansas having that. Okay, and then this run first Kansas offense, all of these things are in their favor right now. Okay, um, the TCU high powered offense we talked about, um, they're going to need they're going to need to slow that down a little bit. Okay, but if Kansas can stay in the game, okay, if their special teams can give them the edge, which it is, they have the edge in the special teams game. Okay, for Kansas, and they have it from the, the kick return game, um, from their punt return game, and they've even blocked the PAT. So Kansas has the edge in special teams. Um, that can give them the edge, okay, when we talked about the home field and game day being there. But if TCU gets hot, okay, and they start rolling on offense and they start going these double moves and pushing the pace, uh, they can roll. So it'll be a great one. Battle of two undefeated, Lawrence, Kansas, game day there. I mean, it's going to be awesome to see. So just an awesome thing, great thing for college football. Excited for this one. Yep. Well, it was great talking with you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon.